If any of you are familiar with the instrumental that is being played right now, it's a super bass by Nicki Minaj, and Denton has completely lost it two hours and five minutes into the show. Absolutely gone off the rails. Linnell Willingham here with you on the fan until 4 o'clock here on this Saturday afternoon before I head over to FedEx Field. The commander is going to have their open practice at the stadium from FedEx. All fans are welcome. There is a... Puppy adoption going on, 15,000 dogs rescued from a shelter in Virginia. You can go out and adopt those. Still don't know whether or not you can bring said puppy into the arena or stadium. We didn't ask Logan Paulson about that. I forgot. He sort of sidestepped my uh, my my question about it, that he was in PetSmart. Clearly wasn't in PetSmart. But it, it felt like he was like, man, I don't need a puppy. That's what it felt like. Yeah, definitely, definitely what it sounded like. I know Logan's got kiddos, so maybe the kiddos might want the puppy. It's not all about you, big fella. But it is all about him when he hops on here and talks football. He did a great job doing that at the top of the 2 o'clock hour. If you're listening on the Odyssey app and are just tuning in, you can go back and use the Odyssey Rewind feature to go hear the latest from Logan Paulson. Before we went to the break, though, I promised that we would take a spin around the National Football League and look at some of the QB battles going on. And there really isn't too many that are hot and heavy right now. But there's one particular one that has caught my eye. and I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. Kenny Pickett, third-string quarterback through two weeks at Steelers camp, and it's Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph, the the incumbent guy, basically, that has really took the bull by the horns, according to uh, members of the Pittsburgh Steelers beat, and he has been the one that has been marching this offense up and down the field. There was a report that came from my man Mark Caboli of The Athletic, He does a nice job covering the Steelers for them. He says, one practice, Mitchell Trubisky, the free agent acquisition at the quarterback position for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he said that Mitch Trubisky went 0 for 16. 0 for 16. As he was charting his completions and incompletions during the team periods for that day. Mitch Trubisky 0 for 16? Come on. There's, there's no way. There's no way this is really happening. That's impressive, to be honest. I hope he got a bonus for that. <laughs> he should. That'll probably be the only damn bonus Mr. Trubisky receives this year. Because if you remember, the contract he signed was very incentive-laden. Centered around whether or not he plays a certain amount of snaps or not. And I got distracted here because I just got a terrible notification on my phone. Terrible for Giants fans, at least. Uh, Adam Schefter just tweeted out the Giants just placed rookie fifth-round pick offensive lineman Marcus McKeithen on injured reserve due to a torn ACL. So the Giants already feeling the attrition uh, of the NFL season, and they're getting hit hard here in training camp. Everybody knows offensive line was definitely a uh, question mark area for the New York football Giants. And now, according to Adam Schefter, their fifth-round rookie Marcus McKeithen going on injured reserve and will miss the entirety of the 2022 season with a torn ACL. Back to the quarterback stuff, though. Mitch Trubisky, 0 for 16 in practice. One practice period. And, man, they brought him in as a reclamation project. And by all accounts, he was supposed to be the guy to win the job. They then went out and confused everybody by drafting Kenny Pickett in the first round. And once they did that, I thought, well, hey, this is 
probably going to be Kenny Pickett's job eventually. But according to the folks out there in Pittsburgh, he's even struggling. Uh, getting third-team reps. Don't know how well he's doing with the third team. Uh, I know in reading some of Caboli's stuff, he said Trubisky has looked much better when he's played with the second and first team, which is interesting to me because they have a genuine three-man quarterback competition going on between Mitchell Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, and Kenny Pickett, the first-round pick. And you would assume Pickett, as the highest draft pick of those guys, would have the leg up. But no, he's getting third-team reps. It has been Mason Rudolph leading the charge. Mike Tomlin spoke to the Pittsburgh reporters, and he said, "I want the, the winner of this quarterback competition is going to be the guy who can make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. Basically, he was trying to say whoever can survive in the chaos that is the Pittsburgh Steelers offense because they're dealing with so many injuries up front and at the wide receiver spot. He said, whoever can survive that best, that's who I want to be this team's starting quarterback. Hold up. Hold up. Mike Tomlin said that in front of reporters? Yes. I would be so offended if I, I was somebody <laughs> on that offense. Like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah. Well, can you can you describe exactly what you mean by chicken you-know-what, coach? I just I want to make sure we're on this. Like, am I that? Well, I put that in. He was saying he wants to see who can handle the adversity the best. Because if you've been oh. following uh, guys on the Steelers beat, there's some attrition there. Najee Harris has been... Not a consistent participant in practice. He's dealing with a lower body injury. Uh, Chase Claypool hasn't been a regular participant in practice. Deontay Johnson was holding Chase out. Claypool dancing on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, they lost Juju Smith-Schuster, but they got the next best damn thing in, Cole, in uh, Chase Claypool. He's a clown show just like Juju is. But I think Juju's clown show is going to end up in some uh, some W's for the Kansas City Chiefs. But, hey, but, but nonetheless, he's Mike Tomlin basically saying because of the injuries that they're dealing with uh, uh, for the weaponry of the quarterback, He's he's kind of having some leniency. He he wants to see which guy can make the best out of the tough situation that they're dealing with personnel wise. And there's a video I don't know if you saw this Denton on Twitter that surfaced of Mason Rudolph leading a drive in practice, and it was in the two minute situation. And once they scored the touchdown, the entire team stormed the field, huddling around Mason Rudolph, chanting and cheering. I know that doesn't spell well for Mitchell Trubisky. I don't even care about Kenny Pickett at this point. He's the rookie. If you're money-making Mitch, you should have took your tail to New York. Now, would you ever have thought, let's just say, if I had to pick like a time frame, uh, maybe about two years ago at like week eight after uh, this dude got hit in the head with a helmet of somebody else, (laughs) that he would ever be getting stormed on the practice field as the next guy in the Pittsburgh locker room? He couldn't even keep Duck Hodges off of the field, Denton. I mean... To see Mason Rudolph in, in his uh, resurgence here has been interesting to me. I know he's got a lot of fans in that front office and in that locker room. Mike Tomlin always speaks highly of him whenever he gets a chance, but that's just Mike Tomlin, arguably the best head coach in football. He's a nice guy. But from a physical standpoint and a talent standpoint, unfortunately for the commanders, the, the Steelers aren't on their schedule because I would love to play a Pittsburgh Steelers team Led by Mason freaking Rudolph. Are you kidding me? They may have the worst quarterback room in football right now. Oh, but then we just take a trip, go a little north, northwest, whatever you want to call it. I'm not geographically sound. We go to Seattle, and they've got Drew Locke competing with Geno Smith. You can wipe the crust out of your eyes. You didn't get in a car crash. We are not in 2010. 
Geno Smith is the is the leader in the clubhouse right now, according to Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll. He's competing with the ghost of Drew Locke because I don't. The guy that we saw at Mizzou has not made it to the NFL. That was one of the swaggiest, lit personality guys can 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 cultivate a locker room. I haven't seen it yet from, from Drew Locke. Obviously, that that guy didn't make it to the NFL. You know, after um, Pete Carroll uh, made those comments about Geno Smith being the leader between him and Drew Locke, if you listened very, very closely, uh, you could hear the sound of a single tear rolling off of the cheek of drab T-shirt and hitting the ground. <laughs> that that is the quarterback battle that his beloved Seattle Seahawks are going into uh, 2022 with. It's crazy because Drabby's actually high on Geno, surprisingly. Drab loves him some Geno Smith. He was definitely psyched about the Drew Locke acquisition. But I remember, what, what was the game? Was it against Pittsburgh when Geno started? Yeah, it was against It was against Pittsburgh. I believe it was a Monday night or Sunday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Geno looked like a competent NFL quarterback in that game. In that game, he did. He, he looked like he, could, like he could handle it. And if you remember, the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense a year ago was the best in football. So for Geno to be able to handle himself well in that situation, probably gave him the leg up heading into this offseason because everybody knows the the tumultuous ending of Drew Locke's career in Denver. I don't know. It's a uh, it's a terrible batch to pick from, I'll say that. But for Geno Smith, I wonder, because there are a lot of guys in that locker room in Seattle, and Bobby Wagner even spoke about this on, on I Am Athlete, I believe. Guys like Geno in Seattle. Like, Geno is a guy that he got a raw deal in, in New York. I mean, every, when, when the dude socked him in his jaw and broke his jaw, I knew, like, okay, like, this is, this is not your typical situation for a young quarterback. And everybody knows young quarterbacks go to the New York Jets to die. I mean, when is the last time we've seen them have a young quarterback that has success? Even right now, that's another situation. They're saying Joe Flacco's blowing the roof off. Well, of I was going to say, how do you how do you define success? Because the past oh, two weeks for Zach not... Wilson have been, you know, successful in one instance, <laughs> maybe not so successful in the field, but, you know, how do you measure success? We measure success by wins, losses, and the amount of mothers you can get. I mean, he's doing, he got at least one of them. <laughs> you know, he got the yells, but he also got the mobs. Yeah. Allegedly. That was another... Uh, not to not to segue too quickly or transition too quickly, the, the quarterback competition, it's not even a competition, actually. But Robert Sala, when have you seen, when was the last time you seen a head coach stand on the table for his backup quarterback saying he thinks he can start anywhere across the National Football League? And according to all the reports, my guy Bien-Ami, um, DJ, DJ Bien-Ami has, has said, tweeted multiple times that Joe Flacco has outperformed Zach Wilson at Jets camp. I repeat, Joe Flacco has outperformed Zach Wilson at Jets camp. That's a real thing that's happening right now. Like I mentioned, wipe the crust out of your eyes, smack yourself on the cheek a few times. We're not in 2012. But Joe Flacco is out there balling. Is out there balling. And we'll see right away whether or not Zach Wilson's got the goods or not because they did everything in their power. Joe Douglas and company did everything in their power to surround Zach Wilson with the adequate weapons for him to have success here in his second year in the National Football League. But I don't want to hear in the second week of training camp that Joe Cool is out there outperforming 
Zach Wilson. That that is that doesn't spell good news. That doesn't spell good news. The situation in Atlanta between Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota. Now this, there's been some water thrown on the fire a little bit. During OTAs and minicamp, there was a real sense that maybe Desmond Ritter has a legit shot to unseat Marcus Mariota. But since training camp has opened up, we haven't heard any of that. Like I mentioned, a lot of water thrown on that fire. But for the Atlanta Falcons, like, they've got weapons. Drake London, I saw him on video turning around all pro Casey Hayward, doing him the dirty way. Kyle Pitts, a man possessed that can't be, that can't be guarded. There are some interesting quarterback competitions brewing around the National Football League. Got to take a quick timeout. When we come back, which rookie quarterback do I think is going to get to sniff the field first? I'll tell you that on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. You listen to 1067 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally on the Odyssey app. Well, Bingham here with you on The Fan for about another half hour. It's been a fun show. I want to give a big thanks to Logan Paulson joining us at the top of the 2 o'clock hour. If you're listening on the Odyssey app, go back and use the rewind feature to go listen to my conversation with former Commanders tight end Logan Paulson. We talked all things Commanders, including the linebacker position, who he's been most impressed with thus far at camp. And we also talked about Carson Wentz and how Logan feels he's done through the first two weeks of camp. Before we took the break, though, we were talking quarterback competitions around the National Football League. I mentioned the one in Pittsburgh. We mentioned the one uh, as well in Atlanta that isn't really much of a competition. Uh, because Marcus Mariota is pretty much taking that job. But for me, what's got me most intrigued and what always gets me most intrigued this time of year is the rookies. This year's draft was different. There was not a situation where there was a consensus top quarterback. Um, some people thought Kenny Pickett. Some people thought Malik Willis. Some people had Matt Corral. Um, varying varying evaluations across the National Football League about this crop of rookie quarterbacks. And Kenny Pickett ends up being the one selected the highest, but he's not necessarily in the best position to get on the field as quick as the other guys. And the question I want to pose out there to you guys, MGM National Harbor Listen Lines, 1-800-636-1067, which rookie quarterback do you think is in the best position to play first. Here's your, here's your crop of guys you could choose from. Matt Corral in Carolina, who really should be a super long shot on this list. You got Desmond Ritter down in Atlanta with the Falcons. We heard good things coming out of Atlanta during OTAs and minicamp, but kind of been quiet on the Desmond Ritter front uh, through two weeks of camp. You got Malik Willis down in Tennessee who is my guy, who I think is the best quarterback in the class from a talent standpoint. You got Kenny Pickett down there in in Pittsburgh. And between those guys, I mean, obviously there's other places too. I know Bailey Zappi. Is it Bailey Zappi in New England with the Patriots? Denton? Is that, am, I, am I right on that? I believe, Bailey's, I believe Bailey Zappi is in New England. He's probably not going get to get an opportunity to play because obviously Mac Jones was a guy that they drafted a season ago. But of the three guys that I listed, Ritter, Pickett, Willis, 
Corral. That's four guys. Which one do I think is in the best position to see the field first? I'm going to go down to Tennessee. I'm going to go down to Tennessee and my guy, Malik Willis. And here's why. Last year, Ryan Tannehill in the postseason, in the one playoff game that they played in, played some of the worst football I've ever seen Ryan Tannehill play. During the season, Ryan Tannehill wasn't, wasn't that great. 14 interceptions to just 21 touchdowns, and it was the most interceptions Tannehill had thrown since his sophomore season in the NFL back in Miami. So there wasn't there was a consistency with Ryan Tannehill. And then last year when he got to the postseason, he just completely threw up on himself. Everybody remembers that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Tennessee Titans at the time, the number one seed in football. The one seed in the AFC. Loses 16-19 in the postseason against the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's the alarming stuff. Ready for the numbers of Ryan Tannehill? 15 of 24. A measly, lousy 224 yards. A touchdown and three interceptions. That's the backbreaker. That's the backbreaker. You don't win a football game in the playoffs if your quarterback turns the ball over three times. Unless you're lucky. Let me tell you what. I'll tell you what. Quarterbacks out there, if you throw three interceptions in the playoffs and your team wins, go play the lottery. Because clearly luck is on your side. Clearly luck is on your side. But I say all that to say, the last time we saw Ryan Tannehill on the football field, it wasn't great. What wasn't great. Wasn't nothing to sneeze at. His overall performance through the season wasn't really great. Wasn't nothing to sneeze at. He had his moments. He had his moments, but it wasn't, it wasn't good most of the time for Ryan Tannehill. That embarrassing loss against the Houston Texans, 22-13. 35 of 52, four interceptions. Come on. Come on. I'll have to look this up real quick. If I'm not mistaken, Ryan Tannehill may have led the National Football League in multi-interception games. He, he may have. I'm getting ready to double-check that for you guys, but here's the that's the point. Like, the last time we saw him, he wasn't good. This is was supposed to be a reclamation project for him uh, in, in Tennessee. This was the first time we saw him without the man that I single-handedly credited for his success, talking about new Falcons head coach Arthur Smith. We saw the best version of Ryan Tannehill when Arthur Smith was the architect of this offense. But he's no longer there. And in his first season without Arthur Smith, he struggled. He struggled. He really did. He really did. Now, I'm pulling up the list here. Multi-interception, multi-interception games across the National Football League last year. Ryan Tannehill's got to be right up there with him. I'm struggling to find the exact number. But he's got to be right up there. I mean, I, I, I rattled off a couple of performances to you there. The four-interception game against Houston. The, 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 the two-interception game against the Colts. The, the two, both times against the Colts, he throws two picks. Another four-interception game. I mean, he, he's he's not that damn good. Well, I mean, you look at interception leaders, and I also haven't been able to find the exact list because somehow in the midst of list season and the offseason, nobody has put that information out. But 
I did one Google search and called it a day. Uh, <laughs> Matt Stafford led the league with 17, and it felt like there was a point in time towards the end of last season where he was throwing two, three, four interceptions on a weekly basis. He almost threw them out of the playoffs then. I mean, like, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty, and it says a lot because they didn't even win the division. With all that talent on their football team, they couldn't even win the division. They had to go on the road and take on Arizona in week in uh, the wild card round of the playoffs. Everybody knows they made quick work of Kyler Murray and company. <laughs> Kyler Murray's playoff career, short-lived. <laughs> I'm hilarious because the guy is very short. But look, I think Malik Willis has the best shot to unseat and become the first rookie quarterback to play because the guy in front of him isn't really much of, of, of a threat in the first place. And me and Denton talk about this stuff all the time off the air. The combination of Malik Willis and Derrick Henry in your backfield, good night, Irene, is what the what the great Jim Ross would say. Good night, Irene, because how the hell do you stop that? How do you stop it? Ryan Tannehill, what, I mean, okay, let me not speak out of turn. I was going to say Ryan Tannehill wasn't much of a running threat. He really wasn't. Like, he's not as spry as he once was, right? But he's got a little bit of wheels on him, former college wideout. But Malik Willis, this is a different animal. Those two in the backfield, it, it, it gives me, it's almost like shades of, of RG3 and Alfred Morris back here in our nation's capital in 2012. It's uber similar to that. And I think the transition for Willis wouldn't be too difficult because his the, 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 the running element of his game, because he can create instant offense with his legs. And then he's going to be facing a lot of damn eight-man boxes because Derrick Henry is the scariest running back in the NFL. So I think it'd be easy for them to transition from Ryan Tannehill to Malik Willis. And look, I don't think we're too far from that. I, I, I really don't. I, I, I don't think it's going to take long before Malik Willis unseats Ryan Tannehill for a multitude of reasons, some of them I just listed. But ultimately, the biggest reason is Ryan Tannehill isn't very good. He isn't. His head coach, Mike Vrabel, former New England Patriot, he knows good quarterback play when he sees it. He had to play for Tom Brady. He had to play with Tom Brady. Speaking of the New England Patriots, though, we got to take a quick timeout. There was a lineman who did something you would not believe to escape the wrath of Bill Belichick. I'll tell you on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. This is the fan. You know who it is. Youngest in charge movement, Linnell Willingham, here with you on the fan for two final segments here on this Saturday afternoon in our nation's capital. The Commanders will wrap up their second week of training camp tonight at FedEx Field. Practice will be open to the public. You can come out there and cheer on your Manders uh, as they get ready to put on a show, hopefully, uh, in front of the full contingent of crowds of fans, excuse me, full pads uh, once again. So come out to FedEx and cheer on your Manders. We'll switch things to the AFC East here for a hot second. There was a lineman who recently told a story on a podcast about what lengths he went to to avoid the wrath of Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. Take a listen. As early as you possibly can every single day for work because you don't want to be the guy that's wandering into a squad team meeting and have Bill Belichick and the rest of the team look at you. So I wake up, my phone died overnight, 
and I realize I'm waking up to the sound of chirping birds and not my alarm going off. And I am frantic. I don't even bother looking at the, the clock. I, I know I'm late. I just know I'm late. So I grab everything I need to. I mean, I'm, I'm completely unkempt. I throw myself in the car in the garage, back out as fast as I can, and I get to the road. And I don't want to speed. I don't want to get a ticket because that's only going to exacerbate things. So I'm stopping at every stop sign, but I'm hustling. I'm trying to get there. I finally look at the clock on my, my I was driving a Chevy Tahoe, and it says I'm late already. Or I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm like five minutes to being officially late. And I've got a 15 minute drive ahead of me. I'm going to be 10 minutes late for, for this, uh, this day. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? And I have this sinking feeling in my stomach. Like I'm going to get cut. Like he's not going to have me on this football team come tomorrow. What do I do? And I'm cruising down this like slight sloping hill that brings you to the first traffic light that I have to turn right to get to. Uh, the stadium for, for the morning meeting. And I see a church van in front of me that's all dinged up and it's got, you know, the black smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe. And I'm just like, I'm going to hit this car. <laughs> I'm going to hit, this. I'm going to rear end this car. <laughs> I'm going to hit this car because it's, it's better to whatever, pay the insurance or like peel off this guy a couple hundred bucks, then embarrass myself being late for this Patriots team meeting. So I rear end this church man. <laughs> this poor, this poor old man who, by the way, was like minutes from being a hundred years old. This guy with a long white beard. I mean, it was father time comes creeping out of the front seat of this church man. And I, I didn't hit him hard. I like cruised into him enough that it dented my bumper. So I had proof. So I had visual evidence that I actually got into a car accident. And he walks outside of the van and I had already like reversed a little bit. We pulled off to the side, like, you know, so we're away from traffic. And he comes and he looks at the van and he looks at the damage on my car. He's apologizing to me. I'm like, oh, sir, sir, sir. No, no, no. This was totally my fault. I said, I'm running a little late for work. I said, my brain's just elsewhere. I was in the clouds. I said, this was not your fault. This was my fault. I am so sorry. Sincerely sorry. I was like, anything I could do. You want insurance information? I that said, you want lying some- person. He's lying. But it just shows you the power and autonomy that Bill Belichick has in in New England. And the fear that he instilled in the guys, because to get into a damn car accident, he was only going to end up being five, ten minutes late to the practice or the meeting anyway. So you should have just bit the bullet. But to get in a car accident, come on. And you know what the best part of that story is? The very, very end. We couldn't play it for you, but the very, very end, they didn't even accept it. Yeah. Like, look, man, this is this is an IBM. You can't you can't get away with that here. You better be on time. And he clearly must feel like an idiot after that because now your car is ruined. You got a fender bender for no reason. Who knows what type of voodoo the guy, the church man guy put on him. Sad situation. This is what I finally understood. This is what coaches mean when they say they want to have better guys in the community because if you get in a car (laughs) crash, don't. Here's your advice. Don't get in a car crash. Get here on time. Yeah, no excuses. I I wonder if that would work here. That would be a terrible thing to do, though. On a Monday through Friday, yes. On a Saturday or Sunday, not as well. Yeah.
Yeah, that's CK. If I ever tell you I'm in a car accident, I probably wasn't. <laughs> I probably wasn't. Then there, that, it, it raises the question to me, though. Like, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing this. I, I, I guess I'll give one of my moments. What's the, what's the like worst thing you've the most Im, the most immoral thing you've done to get out of something? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that. Um, I, ha- I definitely have one that I can't say on there <laughs> that I could potentially do. That's just kind of like in the back pocket kind of thing, but I don't want to, you know, give all my tricks away. I don't know if I've ever gone anything, you know, this extreme because rear-ending somebody is an extreme. Yeah, like, come on. I mean, that that ruined that guy's day. He's remorseful. No, you're making fun of the guy's voice. Like, this man could still be listening. You don't know how old he is. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Nothing juicy for radio, unfortunately. I'm kind of a loser in that regard. I remember it was 11th grade. I believe it was 11th grade. And we used to have these things we had to do called document-based questions. And it was like a in-classroom written essay timed. And it didn't really mean anything. There was no grade attached to it. Like, as long as you gave good faith effort, pretty much, you, you, you passed. I didn't know that until after the fact. And I was so nervous leading up to this thing. I remember pretending to have a fever. So what I did was I took the thermometer and I put it, the tip of it, the silver tip. I don't know if you all are familiar with the old school thermometers that have the the silver tip and you put it under your tongue. I put the tip of the thermometer on the light bulb to my lamp in my room to get it just nooky enough where I had a 104-degree fever. So I made it a little too hot, but it worked. It got me out of having to go to school that day. Unfortunately, I spent a very extended period of time at Kaiser Permanente's urgent care, which is terrible. No offense to the folks at Kaiser, but your service is just awful. And it comes to find out that my, my, my fever magically subsided once I waited in the lobby for four or five hours. Never had a fever in the first place, but that was that's probably the worst I've done. Four or five hours is an extreme time to, to wait. wait in an urgent care? Like, come on. For a 104-degree fever? I mean, I think they would kind of speed you up in the line there a little bit. Not the Kaiser in Gaithersburg. Now I'm being specific. The Gaithersburg Kaiser, they aren't worth a damn. I'm not worth a damn either because why was I trying to get out of the DBQ? It didn't even, it never even affected my, my grade. It was a pass-fail type of thing. And obviously, what do they say? The young folks say, I, I copped the plea. <laughs> Passed in the street smart. Kind of. I always got a little street smarts there. Just, just like you said, I can't give away too many, uh, too many tricks of my trade. We got to take a quick time out here. On the other side of this break, I'll tell you which NFL teams have never had an MVP in their franchise. You'll be surprised to hear the list. Don't go anywhere. This is the fan. Welcome back. Linnell Willingham here with you on the fan for one final segment. Here on this Saturday afternoon in our nation's capital. Beautiful, beautiful day outside. Beautiful time to go out to FedEx Field and come watch the Washington Commanders practice in the stadium for the first time this offseason. They'll be there next weekend as well. The Carolina Panthers coming to town for the preseason opener for your Washington Commanders. That should be a treat as well, but get a little tease tonight at FedEx Field. Gates open at 4 o'clock. You can adopt a puppy, as we've been telling you all show, 15,000 uh, rescued puppies available for purchase. 
an adoption. Uh, you can get to the stadium early. You can do that. Is it 15,000 or 1,500? It may be 1,500. That actually. <laughs> 15,000 is a lot of puppies. That's like an average Sunday attendance at FedEx. <laughs> Boom. Anybody listening that is affiliated with the team, that was my producer, not me. Uh, before we went to the break, though, I, I, I was teasing the fact that there are six NFL franchises that have never had an MVP. I spoiled it to our producer Denton Day earlier in the, in, in the break before the show started. Six teams that have never had an MVP. The Jacksonville Jaguars, shocker. The Tampa Bay Bucks, a real shocker to me. The New Orleans Saints. The Arizona Cardinals. The New York Jets. And the Houston Texans. You all probably know where I'm going with this. The question is simple. Of those six teams, the Jags, Bucks, Saints, Cardinals, Jets, and Texans, who's going to get the next MVP? Who will get their first MVP in franchise history? Obviously, the easy answer probably is the Tampa Bay Bucks and Tom Brady. But if he doesn't win it this year, <laughs> after he leaves Tampa Bay, they are going to go into purgatory. They are probably going to be god-awful. So I don't think they're the odds-on favorite for this question, right? I got to go and look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think Trevor Lawrence is the closest out of anybody on these rosters to winning MVP, and here's why. Last year, he gets a pass for me. He gets a pass for me because he had to deal with stupid Urban Meyer and how could you ask someone to succeed under those circumstances that the Jacksonville Jaguars were under a season ago? He gets his college teammate in lethal weapon back. And Christian, I'm mean, not Christian Kirk, excuse me, Travis Etienne, who also had a red shirt rookie year, but he was actually injured. Had the list Frank injury uh, to start camp. Missed the entirety of the season. He gets him back. They put in a lot of money. It invested a lot of resources at the wide receiver position this offseason, signing Christian Kirk to a massive deal. They bring in Evan Ingram. But the biggest thing for me is the combination of head coach and quarterback. I love me some Dougie Fresh. And when I say Dougie Fresh, I'm talking about Doug Peterson. I love Doug Peterson. I love the way he's able to captivate a locker room. I, I love the track record and history of success with quarterbacks, specifically with what he did with Nick Foles during Carson Wentz's would-be MVP season. His ability to lead guys, the creativity, drawing up the Philly special. The guy's got the goods. I think Trevor Lawrence and him, as far as head coach-quarterback combinations after this season, will be one of the top 10 to 12 in the National Football League. Mark my words. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be here to stay. They're going to be here to stay. I expect 2022 to be the first year and first season of long-term success for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it all starts because they got their man at quarterback, the guy who I think is the closest to ending his franchise's MVP drought. I'll list through the, through the teams again. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Tampa Bay Bucks, New Orleans Saints, Arizona Cardinals, New York Jets, and Houston Texans have never, ever had an MVP. 
I think Trevor Lawrence is the one to do it. I really do. And I'll even go out on a limb. Clip this off. Clip Master Denton. The Jacksonville Jaguars will make the playoffs in the crowded AFC. That's all I got for you. Linnell Willingham signing off here on The Fan. I'm back with you Wednesday night, (laughs) 6.30 to 10 right here on The Fan. It's been a pleasure.